the verse we'll start off with is John 15, 7. And I'll just read it. You don't have to turn to it. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. Ask. Pray whatever you wish. And it will be done. It shall be done for you. I, Mr. Brazier is my boss, so I better, I just remembered what he told me to do, so I better stop and do it. <laughs> my name is Phil Stair. I've been here since, <laughs> I've been here since 1979. I came as a student in 79, and I've been on staff since then, after taking three years of classes here. And uh, I deal primarily with the maintenance of the grounds and, and work with the guys um, around the place. So been here a long time, so I guess he felt it was time I say something. <laughs> John 15:7, "If you abide in me, and my words abide in you. And you, we've heard already that word used. I don't know if we've heard a in-depth definition of it, and I don't have an in-depth one either. Abide, to remain, to endure, to dwell, to continue, to stay in one place. It's not just a flash in the pan where you've come and then that's it. Abiding means you're, you're staying there. You're staying put. And what is the Lord saying here in 7? If you abide in me, if you stay in me, and my words stay in you, if they continue in you, then ask. Here is a conditional statement. This is a condition. If you thought prayer was unconditional, well, what do you make of this verse? If it shall be done for you, as you wish. And I want to point out that the Word needs to abide in you. My wife and I recently were asked by a young couple to give them premarital counseling. And one thing that I recommended to them was that they be once they were married, to be reading books on prayer. It's always a, I've thought it was a good thing to do. To keep yourself reminded of what you're doing in this marriage. To keep yourself fresh. What is this all about? Don't let it go stale. Don't, don't forget what you gave vows to. So I encourage them to, and there are good books out there to read good books on marriage on a continuous basis. And that reminded me of something I used to do when we had children in the home. We had seven children. And uh, I would always be reading books on child raising. And I remember one day the oldest, my oldest, came in and he asked, Dad, why are you always reading those books on on raising children? Well, I guess I thought it was important to do. It was an important matter, and I felt inadequate for it. So two main reasons. Very important, I didn't feel up to it. 
So that's basically what I told them. And that reminded me of something Mr. Nuremberg said, I think, a few years ago, and I don't know if he's still continuing the practice, but he, I remember him saying that he was always reading books on prayer. I got the impression that it was something that he just continuously did. And again, why? Because it's a matter that must be known. It must be understood. And there again, it may be a matter of a feeling of inadequacy. I'm not up to it as I ought to be. So, always reading a book on prayer. And I find that I've been doing the same. Uh, there's been a number of books that I, that I have and that I've read. And one thing I do when I'm reading, I'm, I've got my marking pen with me and I'm always looking for the definitions that the authors give. Prayer is. And there's always, they're always there. Sometimes they're right on the first prayer, on the first page. Prayer is such and such. Prayer is that. I'm going to read a couple to you now, just in an example. I'm not necessarily rating their definitions, but, uh, just an example. Prayer is learning to speak with God. Prayer is the simplest form of speech that infant lips can try. In the same book, by the same author, author, prayer is the divinest exercise the heart of man can be engaged in. A little bit heavier. Prayer is the highest exercise of the human intellect. So, you know, some of those are weighty definitions. Um in Mr. Nuremberg's book, I had to go all the way to page 10 to find his definition. <laughs> and then he started off with a negative. Prayer is not. So if you know Mr. Nuremberg, well, <laughs> prayer is not essentially a means of getting things from God. Prayer is not just receiving, asking and receiving. Prayer is an opportunity to be with God to have his attention and to speak with him from our hearts. Isn't that good? An opportunity to be with God, to have his attention. Isn't that a beautiful thought? You have the attention of God and to speak with him freely from your heart. I believe it's Psalm 64, pour out our hearts before God, it says. Now, I'd like to give some other testimonies about prayer and see if you can relate. Prayer, as far as I know, is the hardest thing in the world. That was Elizabeth Elliot. I don't know the context in which she said that. Um, her Broadcast can still be found on radio, and I like to listen to them when I can, and, and, and that was one I heard recently. Prayer, as far as I know, is the hardest thing in the world. Here's another quote by Mr. Carroll. Nothing requires more concentration than prayer. Now, Mr. Carroll was 
I felt a very gifted man. I worked with him for years here. And uh, everything, basically everything you see here was under his watch. He was the spearhead to all of these buildings, to this work, to this property being obtained. He was a very effective preacher, uh, evangelist, counselor, very gifted. And yet he says nothing requires more concentration than prayer. So I was encouraged by these. Why? They're so negative. Why are you encouraged by it? Because <laughs> misery loves company. Uh, and not that prayer is misery to me, but the difficulties, the potential difficulties of prayer are, are very real. Nothing shows my lack of concentration more than prayer. The first words in one of my favorite books on prayer is, It's Hard to Pray. That's, I'm referring to this book, A Praying Life. And forgive me for reading, but I'm going to just share some other thoughts here that I don't know about you guys, but I can relate. The author of A Praying Life is Paul Miller. And he says, something is wrong with us. Our natural desire to pray comes from creation. We are made in the image of God. Our inability to pray comes from the fall. Evil has marred the image. We want to talk to God, but can't. The friction of our desire to pray, combined with our badly damaged prayer antenna, leads to constant frustration. It's as if we've had a stroke. Complicating this is the enormous confusion about what makes for good prayer. What makes for good prayer? You know, I, I, I don't know about you, but you're always wondering how your prayers sound. You're always listening to how other people's prayers sound. We vaguely sense that we should begin by focusing on God, not on ourselves. So when we start to pray, we try to worship. That works for a minute, but it feels contrived. Then guilt sets in again. We wonder, did I worship enough? Did I really mean it? In a burst of spiritual enthusiasm, we put together a prayer list. But praying through the list gets dull, and nothing seems to happen. The list gets long and cumbersome. We lose touch with many of the needs. Praying feels like whistling in the wind. When someone is healed or helped, we wonder if it would have happened anyway. Then we misplace the list. Praying exposes how self-preoccupied we are and uncovers our doubts. It was easier on our faith not to pray. After only a few minutes, our prayer is in shambles. Barely out of the starting gate, we collapse on the sidelines, cynical, guilty, and hopeless. So, can anybody relate? American culture, he goes on, is probably the hardest place in the world to learn to pray. Why is that? 
we are so busy that when we slow down to pray, we find it uncomfortable. We prize accomplishments, production. But prayer is nothing but talking to God. It feels useless, as if we're wasting time. Every bone in our bodies screams, get to work. And if that's not enough, if we aren't used to working, then we want to be entertained. So there you have it, his summation of prayer. But I do highly recommend this book, (laughs) even after all of that. Uh, he is a very good writer and it, it's very helpful. So, what's the problem with Elizabeth Elliot? What's the problem with Mr. Carroll? What's the problem with Paul Miller? What's the problem with me? Well, the fall was mentioned, but isn't there supposed to be grace to be overcomers after the fall? So, with that fall came the ongoing battle with the world, the flesh, and the devil. There we go. We've always got that hounding us. Even Paul mentioned in Romans 8 the potential of frustration. We do not know how to pray as we should, he said. And I'll give a little fictitious story. Um, I used to help introduce the morning prayer time to the guys here at the Institute. They pray for a half hour in the morning. Girls pray for a half hour in another place. And I would introduce that meeting with a a simple little fictitious story. And I would say, fellas, student Sam came in, and student Sam said, pray for my grandmother, she's sick. And everybody would say fine, and they would dutifully pray for sick grandmother. And what would they pray? That's all that Sam would say, pray for my grandmother, she's sick. And what would do you think everybody would pray? Well, that grandmother would be healed. That grandmother would be made well again. Well, Sam did give any details, any more details. He didn't say that grandmother was 115 and maybe it was time to go. Uh, or he didn't say that grandmother had a very unsympathetic husband and maybe the Lord had her sick so that husband would be more sympathetic. Or that maybe grandmother was unsaved and this was God trying to wake her up to salvation. So, You could see the point there. We often don't exactly know how to pray as we ought. And even if we have all the details, as we've already heard, we're not always sure what God is doing. We don't know what's going on. Anyway... I can start getting sort of desperate when prayer goes like that. And I get to the place where I say, Lord, you've got to help. And my attitude increasingly has come to be, Lord, 
you've got to meet me in prayer. Please don't leave me to myself. You've got to pray through me. You've got to give me the words. You've got to speak to my heart. You've got to give me your heart. In other words, your word speaks of a praying in the Holy Ghost. Lord, you've got to teach me what that means to pray in the Holy Ghost. Jude 20. We heard it this morning, Ephesians 6. So what is the problem? We've already mentioned the fall. We've already mentioned the world, the flesh, and the devil. But I think one big thing that we're caught up in, and this is can be summed up in, in Mark 4, and especially in this culture, I think it becomes our problem. The cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things. If that doesn't describe America, I don't know what does, but probably most cultures. The cares of this life, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things. I think everybody can relate to that. When do you realize what, if you give in to that, what happens? The word gets choked. And if the word is choked, what else is going to be choked? It's our prayer life. If the word of God is choked, it becomes unfruitful. And our prayers are then next in line to become unfruitful. I can't pray in the Holy Spirit if the Word of God is not abiding in me I can't ask for what I will so what this is coming to is how are we dealing with the Word of God I suppose you could at a prayer conference ask how much time do you spend in prayer I think in another real sense, it could be asked, how much time are you spending in the Word? Because that will have a large determination of how you pray. When it comes to prayer, to the whole matter of prayer, beware of Martha ministries. That is doing a lot of things, doing a lot of serving. And beware of the barrenness that comes from busyness. We could have the attitude that that's spirituality. How busy am I for the Lord? How much am I serving? When it comes to prayer, who was in a better place to pray? Martha or her sister Mary? Mary was the one who sat at Jesus' feet and heard his words. George Mueller didn't leave his devotions in the morning until his heart was warmed. He was a busy man. He had hundreds of orphans to take care of. 
He was a pastor. He dealt with missionaries. But yet he gave his time to the Word of God. Israel was given fresh manna how often? Every day. We can't be satisfied with anything less than that. We've got to receive fresh manna from the Lord so that we can pray. Do our Bibles lead us to a daily loving relationship with Him? Don't just put in the chapters. Don't just see how many times you can get through the Word. Is it leading you to the Lord? Is it leading you to the place of prayer? It shouldn't be that we are frustrated in prayer. That's not God's way. We've got three enemies. We've got two antidotes. The Word and the Holy Spirit. We've got to have the Word for the Holy Spirit to activate it. When the Word is abiding in me, I'm thinking the right things, I'm doing the right things, I'm praying the right things. Right in the middle of our Bibles, we've got Psalm 119. And that is the central thing that God points us to so that we can pray. An emphasis on His Word. 176 verses exalting the value of the Word of God. Shouldn't we pay attention to that? Are there any other verses that are given to any other topic like that? 176 verses right in the middle of your Bible. All talking about the value of the Word of God. Heaven and earth will pass away, but not the Word. All flesh is as grass, but the Word abides forever. So, what's hindering your prayer life? I'm going to read a few verses from Psalm 119. Well, in answering some potential questions, what's hindering your prayers? Is it sin? Often that's the case. And what does Psalm 119 say? Your word have I treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. The treasuring of the word of God keeps us from sin. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. You don't know what to pray. Verse 98 says, Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever mine. I have more insight than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. You don't know what to pray? God waits to show you.
in his word. You don't understand what is going on. You don't understand what's going on in this situation. Verse 100. I understand more than the aged because I have observed your precepts. I understand more than the old timers, than the old people, because I am obedient to the word of God. What's another thing? Your heart is cold, you might say. Verse 154. Plead my cause and redeem me. Revive me according to your word. Revive me according to your ordinances. 159. Revive me, O Lord, according to your loving kindness. Here is where our hearts are revived in the word of God. Colossians says, let the word of Christ dwell richly within you. The word has to be our portion. In this confusing world that we live in, we have to be full of the word of God. We have to be full of the mind of Christ. The psalmist says in another one, I love the Lord because he hears my voice and my supplications. Because I've been stirred to pray. Because he has inclined his ear to me, I shall call upon him as long as I live. The Lord has to be, and the the word has to be the portion of our inheritance. The Holy Spirit is going to take the word, take the things of Christ, and reveal the things of God unto us. We have to be those giving ourselves to the word of God. So the question has to be daily, Am am I finding God in the Word? I appreciate a little story about George Mueller. And again, George Mueller was one who this work was based on, his principles. A fellow came in and and was visiting Mr. Mueller and wanted an interview with him. So he came into his office, and Mr. Mueller was at his desk writing a a letter to someone. And the fellow noticed that Mr. Mueller would write, and then he would, you know, at times pause, and then he would obviously be praying, and then he would write again, and then pause and pray, and then continue. And afterwards, the fellow asked Mr. Mueller, Mr. Mueller, that must have been a very important letter that you were writing because I noticed you would stop and pray as you wrote it. And he said, Mr. Mueller said, no, not so much the letter. I was, my pen wasn't working right. I was praying for my pen. And I thought, what a beautiful thing. Something that simple 
that a man like Mr. Mueller, he prayed over his pen working properly. What brings us to a place of sensitivity in prayer? It's God's Word. There we see God. We can't, and don't look anywhere else for Him. You find God in His Word. He gives you His heart and His mind. And from there we pray. From there we respond to what we see. So, I hope that the emphasis and the question to us is, am I receiving from God's Word? Is it daily manna? Is it daily fresh bread to me so that I can pray? So that I might know how to pray? Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you that you are ever before us in your Word You wait to transform us by the renewing of our minds. You change us as we behold you. And we thank you for that. And we do pray that we would be disciplined to find you in your word. We do pray you draw our hearts out to that. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.